Welcome to Sea of Fire Ministries Podcast with Pastor James Myers. And now, we dive into the book of Acts. Okay, so we're going to be looking at chapter 9 today, um, which is, part of it is an account of uh, uh, Paul's conversion. Uh, it begins with Saul. He actually gives this, uh, gives more details of this account in Acts 22, uh, verse 3 through 21, and in uh, Acts 26, verses uh, 12 through 19. And we'll, I kind of sprinkled it into this um, commentary, into this study, so we'll see some of that even before we get there. Uh, just some additional uh, information. Um, and the repetition is 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 because of that uh, the importance of his conversion in particularly in as in so far as the gentiles and the grafting in of the gentiles into the vine of Israel and Paul is somebody i really identify with i mean obviously not to the extent but you know i came to faith really in pursuing arguing against christianity and you know christ and god chased me down and had other ideas, you know, and just like just like Paul, Paul isn't isn't converted because he just came to this realization that he was seeking after who Jesus was, and and then Jesus revealed himself to him. That's not how it happens at all, and that's what we're going to see. But that's I really identify with Paul a lot. I mean, he holds a really special part, uh, place in my uh, in my heart. Um, okay, so let's go ahead and read the chapter, and then we'll break it down. Each verse, um, y'all ready? Okay. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul rose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, so that he might receive his sight. <coughs> Excuse me. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of uh, Israel. Uh, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he, so when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul uh, spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then all, who were, then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on his, this name in Jerusalem 
and has come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, which, yeah, of course, and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him uh, and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, going in and going out, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. When uh, the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. Then the, church, uh, then the churches throughout all, of, all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Now it came to pass, as Peter went through all the parts of uh, the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwelt at Leda. Uh, there he found a certain named Aeneas, uh, who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, uh, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he rose immediately. So all who dwelt at Leda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. At Joppa there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. Uh, this woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Uh, laid her in an upper room, I'm sorry. And since Leda was uh, near Joppa and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood by him, weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had uh, made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive and became known throughout all Joppa and many believed on the Lord. So that it was, uh, so it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon, a tanner. All right, let's go back up to verse one. So then Saul, still breathing threats and murder uh, against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. So the spirit of God breathes his spirit into believers. Uh, the the sons of the devil breathe out threats and murder, and and that's that's completely different. Uh, the Lord is the Lord of life; Satan is the Lord of death. In John uh, chapter fifteen, verse eighteen through uh, until chapter sixteen, verse four, Christ said, "If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you." Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they, would, uh, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them uh, the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. That's in the Psalms. It's in various places. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. 
These things I have spoken to you, that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And these things they will, they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you, that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. So what he's saying, obviously, is that since they persecuted him, they're going to persecute the church. And, but uh, the key part I want to kind of emphasize here is they will put you out of the synagogues and the, timing, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. That's what Saul is doing. He's thinking he's serving God through persecuting this church and bringing you know, this heresy down. This is how he sees it. Um, and what's interesting is Saul goes to the high priest to get letters and warrants to go arrest people at Damascus. Saul becomes who is Paul ends up writing most of the letters of the New Testament, most of the New Testament, in fact, but letters. I just think it's in the providence of God. I just think it's really interesting and fascinating that he goes to the high priest to receive letters to persecute the church. And then later he writes most of the letters of the New Testament to strengthen the church. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Verse two. And asked letters from uh, him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to uh, Jerusalem. So the, the any, anybody who were of the way, the way there are varying ways in which uh, Luke describes Christians. Uh, you have uh, we see disciples in verse uh, ten and nine. Uh, we see saints in verse thirteen. We see all who call on your name in verse fourteen. And we see brethren in verse 30. Uh, we see usage of the way often in Acts as well. And this is obviously alluding to when Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So they would talk about you know, these people being followers of the way. Uh, the term Christian actually was a derogatory term. It's only uh, in the Bible three times. Uh, we see, we'll see it in uh, Acts 11.26 where it says, And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And we'll see it in 26, uh, 28, which doesn't have much relevance. Uh, the, other, the only other time it's in the Bible is in 1 Peter uh, 4, 16, where he says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him, but let him glorify God in this matter. That word matter is really name. So don't be ashamed of this name. It was really a derogatory term initially. And then the church embraced it because, you know, they take what's derogatory. They take what, what man means for evil and... God uses for good. So we've been called Christians, which was actually an insult uh, initially. Um, yeah, uh, and remember, let's remember when that he's that uh, Saul's dragging men and women off to prison uh, to their deaths. Uh, and remember, he's dragging men and women. I mean, the worst of wars of the world would typically be reticent i mean this isn't universal but most times especially in uh recent history even when a land is plundered they would leave the children and the women alone they wouldn't you know assault the men and whereas even in this persecution the women so as far you know insofar as we've talked about the equality that christianity has uh has manifested in the appreciation of the man and woman I do think that this should still be an inequality, <laughs> that the women and the children should be spared, and men uh, should be the ones uh, assaulted, or however you want to put that. Um, yeah, well, 
I basically already said that. All right, verse 3. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. We see in Paul, so this is one of the the occasions that he had spoken of later on. So in, 20, in uh, chapter 26, verse 13, King Agrippa, he's speaking to King Agrippa, he's, and he says, At midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me, and those who journeyed with me. So this account is only saying that it surrounded him. It actually surrounded all the people, which is just important as we go along through the book of Acts. Uh, and even this this account especially. But it's But also that light is brighter than the sun. He's walking during the day, and this light blinds him. So it is a pure, perfect radiance of the glory of Christ that blinds Saul on the way. And that's the light. We can't just picture this little glow, <laughs> this little meek little glow. It's a blinding light that they all saw, but he's the only one who's blinded. Um, but yeah. So, and... Again, yeah, with what a glorious God we serve, so that a man so filled with darkness can so quickly shift by his radiant uh, light. Um, yeah, as Calvin said, that Christ uh, ties the jaws of the greedy wolf even when he was ready to enter the sheepfold. So, that's exactly what uh, Christ did to Saul. It's definitely what he did to me, even before he's about to enter the sheepfold. This, this wolf, he's taking care of before he's just about to enter. Uh, but again, to the extent that I can relate to Paul, as, as I mentioned, you know, this is obviously far greater. And so he's plunging e even into more and more evil. That's what we were talking about in our apologetic study, that the more and more you exercise evil, the easier and easier and easier it is. And that's what's happening to him. So I didn't, I don't <laughs> understand it to that uh, uh, extent. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, again, the glory of Christ is pure radiance and ends up blind, blinding Paul. Uh, yeah, so again, he'll, he talks about the light surrounding them all and they found, and we'll look at that though, why he was the only one blinded uh, and all of that. And, and he's the only one who heard what was spoken. Now, other men hear, heard the voice, but they don't hear what was spoken. Uh, but we'll look at that in verse 7 and 8. And remember, in the account of Stephen, just before he, he sees... So the revelation Christ shows him is the glory of God and Christ standing at the Father. Saul, I mean, by God's grace, he, he is met with the glory of Christ on the road to Damascus, but it's a blinding light. I mean, it's, it, it's just, so his revelation and his, it, it depends on his salvific work. It depends on what work he's doing, uh, that kind of a thing. Um, so verse 4, Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? I mean, first of all, he fell to the ground. A very appropriate response. Uh, again, this is one you naturally are inclined to do when you see the Lord of glory. So the Lord calls Saul's name twice. Uh, God does this with Abraham and Moses, and we, uh, which we considered in Stephen's defense. He says it to Jacob just before reuniting with Joseph. He says it uh, to Samuel before he even knows the Lord at that time. And I'd love to go into that, but I'm not going to right now. And Christ did it with Martha when he was rebuking her. She was uh, complaining that uh, Mary, her sister, was sitting and listening to Christ while she was serving and, you know, doing all that stuff. And he says, you know, Martha, Martha, you know, she's, you know, you, you, you need to do this without not doing that kind of a thing. This is most important. And he also uh, says it to Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, you know, the uh, 
the Satan is sifted you like wheat, all this stuff, and, and he doesn't call him Peter. I think that's kind of a scolding, like a parent. He, he uses his original name. <laughs> uh, but notice, uh, yeah, Christ does not ask why Saul is persecuting the church, but he asks him, why are you persecuting me? Because he and his church, he and his body are one. When, he's, when we're persecuted, he's persecuted. We can't lose sight of that. And that's why we, all, we also ought to glory in that persecution. Because we join in Christ's suffering. We join in his glory. We join in his likeness, even. So even the more and more uh, accustomed we are to evil, and easier and easier it is, the more we do it, the same goes through, the same holds true with persecution and suffering. The more and more we endure it, the more and more we can, and the more and more we develop more into the likeness of our Savior. So suffering is, is, is a beautiful thing. But again, he's not, he's not asking, why are you persecuting my church? He's asking, why are you persecuting me? Um, yeah. Uh, verse 5, and he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard to kick against the goads. So Saul asks an interesting question. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's obvious. But he knows it's the Lord. <laughs> that, that part's obvious. And so he asks, uh, who are you? you know, and then he says, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how Saul, Saul must have responded with that when he heard? Like he wasn't expecting that. <laughs> you know, he's, he knows you know, it, it's the Lord and he might not be, you know, he might be mistaken as to who he is. But once Jesus came back, I mean, he had to have been just completely despondent and just completely shocked and and uh and awakened but in in a holy sorrow um yeah uh, it, it, so by the way the kicking against the goads it's questionable about whether this was in the text anyways most manuscripts don't have it in again manuscripts are something we'll talk about later but what kicking against the goads would be um, you know, if you had oxen pulling whatever, you know, or, or if you're just in a carriage and you're driving an ox and that ox decides not to move, it doesn't want to move. And so you smack him with stuff until, you know, he wants to move. And that will only make, make him mad sometimes, the rage of an ox. You know, so he'll just start kicking. He'll just start kicking. And so what they did was they basically put, you know, between the oxen and the cart, there would be these pointy things. Uh, so that every time it would kick, it would hit and basically stab it. And so one of two things are going to happen. Either it will relent and start moving, or it will just start kicking more and more. Because the more angrier it, get, the angrier it gets, the more it starts to kick. And so that's what he's saying. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Saul is going against him, and, and the further and further he does, he's just kicking and kicking and kicking against those goads. Um, okay. Or Bontar is from the vocal Okay. Okay. Verse 6. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you, uh, what you must do. So Saul trembled. I mean, obviously, that, you know, men's sense can't comprehend the glory of Christ. And so, first, he falls to the ground, and then Jesus says, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Saul's trembling. Saul is shaking. Saul has been shaken, and he's shaking. Uh, um, so, um, 
Yeah, he showed himself in forms which, uh, with which he showed himself. But here, to Paul, it's to terrify him. Um, yeah, so while the saints are uh, called and, and ought to you know, tremble and, and fear God's presence, but also in reverence and stuff, but this is, uh, this is a fear of that divine power of Christ uh, full, set full against him. Um, yeah, I'm not going to go in. Okay. Um, yeah, he was just done. Okay, verses 7 and 8. Apparently this format isn't <laughs> it's better as I thought. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, uh, hearing, a, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul rose from the ground, and when his eyes were open, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. So again, you know, as we saw... Uh, in Stephen's vision, he sees the glory of God and Christ at his right hand, and it was a loyal gift to him from God, uh, so that his boldness, remember that boldness, I mean, Stephen was definitely being bold, so that boldness turns to peace just before he's received into heaven. Uh, as I shift from the rage of the crowd into the tranquility of his Lord. Uh, we see in Paul's other accounts of this episode that the light shone around them all, like we had seen, and they, and they all fell to their faces. Uh, and apparently, again, they heard a voice but didn't hear its content. It was not meant for them. God's, uh, God's revelation in Christ was showing himself to Paul. And Paul, now, now Saul has witnesses to this count, you know, and these are still faithful friends, as we'll see. They lead him on to Damascus, but uh, um, they didn't, you know, they saw the light, but they didn't hear what the voice was saying. Um, yeah, Saul's uh, blindness reflects uh, that of one of the curses of disbelief in Deuteronomy. So uh, in Deuteronomy, in, in a section, it says, basically, if you follow me, if you follow my commands and everything, these will all be the blessings you get. You know, blessings, blessed will you be when you go in, blessed will you be when you go out, blessed, 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 blessed. And, and then it follows with, you know, if you don't follow me, cursed will you be as you go in, cursed. And it goes on to, but so part of it is, it's in chapter 28 of Deuteronomy, verses 28 and 29 say, but the, uh, the Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of heart, and you shall grope at noonday as a blind man gropes in darkness. You shall not prosper in your ways. You shall only uh, you shall be only oppressed and plundered continually, and no one shall save you. Now, all of that reflects Paul until the last part. No one shall save you. Christ saves him. That, that abundant curse becomes an abundant blessing. Quickly, Isaiah uh, chapter fifty nine uh, verses nine through fifteen says. Therefore, justice is far from us, nor does righteousness overtake us. We look for light, but there is darkness, for brightness, but we walk in blackness. We grope for the wall like the blind, and we grope, and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as, as at twilight. We are as dead men in desolate places. We all growl like bears and moan sadly like doves. We look for justice, but there is none, for salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, God." And our sins testify against us, for our transgressions are with us, and as for our iniquities, we know them. And in transgression, in transgression and lying against the Lord and departing from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering uh, from the heart words of falsehood, justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off, for truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot uh, enter. So truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. So Saul... Uh, is, is curse for his unbelief, but this curse is a prelude to the abundant blessings in Christ. But that's just talking about, again, uh, the, the manifestation of man being far off from God. And we're actually going to conclude with Isaiah um, 
chapter 12 because I decided since every time I ask y'all to add, uh, read these chapters, they don't seem to be getting read. So I'm just going to start reading them. Yeah, that'll be fun. <laughs> Verse 9. Uh, and he was three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. So again, this experience shattered Saul. He has no appetite. He has no appetite and only one thing on his mind. He must, that, that, that Christ who's blinded him, that Christ who has shaken his life, all he's doing the next three days is praying and, and waiting for, the, for that same voice to give him peace. Which, which, he, which he receives. We, we'll, we'll see uh, Christ comes to him in a vision about Ananias. Um, but again, he's completely despondent. Um, so again, whereas remember Simon of, in Samaria, Simon Magus, who uh, falsely believed to Philip, you know, and then he's asking to pay the apostles for the power of giving him the spirit and all that. So he's bound, he was still bound in iniquity. Again, Saul now is bound in ho holy sorrow. And this is a contrite, true repentance. And it's, and, it's, and it's a good Christian man who, when he first comes to faith, recognizes and has to have this moment of, of contrition before God. And that's what he's going through. Um, but although, And although he's blind, he's never seen more clearly in his life. This, this, he's given light. Though he's walking around not being able to see with his eyes, he sees with his heart, he sees with his mind, and he sees with his soul for the first time. Verse 10. Now there was a, a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Remember the word name Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord only calls Ananias once. Ananias would have been familiar with the voice of the Lord, and so he just needs to call him once. Uh, these visions signify some light to testify of God's presence. It, it, it's, it, it's a sight more real than the eyes. You know? So when these visions... We have to recognize, you know, we, we think that these is sometimes fantastical and, and far-fetched and stuff, but you have to realize when Christ manifests himself, that's a reality that's far more real than, the, than, our, than our reality that can be illusory that we've discussed, right? But Christ's revelation is not that way. It's pure and it's straight and it's, and it's, it's a sight greater than that of the eyes. Um, and therefore, Ananias replies, here I am, Lord. Uh, that response reflects that of the people of old when they were called. Uh, when, when, uh, in fact, there's uh, the story of uh, when Samuel was called. Samuel was really young, and he came under the the, teach, the teaching of a ministry of a man named Eli. I'm trying to give you a short story, uh, but he didn't know the Lord yet, uh, and, and so he's called by the Lord, Samuel, Samuel, and so he ran to Eli and said. You know, Master, you called me. He's like, no, I didn't. No, no, you're crazy. Get out of here. And so, so he took off, and then he heard the voice again, Samuel, Samuel. And he runs to Eli. And he says, Master, you called me. Here I am. And he says, no, Samuel, get out of here. I don't know what you're doing. Get out of here. Leave me alone. I didn't call you. Third time he comes to him. So God calls him again, Samuel, Samuel. Runs to Eli, Master, you called. And that's when Eli realizes, okay, the Lord is obviously calling. So. Next time you hear the voice say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And so that's what that is reflective of how Ananias is responding here. Um, in Paul's uh, recollection of his episode in the 26th chapter, he, he, so referring to Ananias, he, he says, A certain Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me. So that's who this Ananias is. Okay, and we've got we have to kind of remember that as we go into how Ananias responds to Christ. <laughs> okay, 
Um, and, it, and again, as we mentioned before, the other name, the other men of that name, Ananias, but uh, in the book of Acts, remember there are three, and we'll see the later on later. Uh, but the Hebrew name is Hananiah, and was actually one of Daniel's friends uh, in the captivity in Babylon. Uh, he's re renamed uh, Shadrach. I don't know if y'all remember that from Veggie Tales. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Anyway, uh, his original name was uh, Hananiah. Uh, anyway, so verse uh, 11 and 12. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire of, uh, at the house of Judas for one called uh, Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive Christ. So, again, we, I'm sorry, we receive his sight. Oh, Christ? Did I say Christ? Well, he did, so. <laughs> we, see here, uh, we see here that Saul gave himself to prayer for those three days, which is basically what I was saying. Uh, and again, that's the most befitting exercise to continually seek the Lord again. He, he revealed himself in this dreadful account for him, for Paul, you know, he's trembling. He, this is a shock. This is a, and he's devastated and he's despondent and he's listening continually. Um, and eventually he, uh, he sees, um, and I'm sure those three days, and I'm sure for the rest of a life, his life, he kept hearing, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I can't, I can't imagine that after ever left his heart. I, I got to imagine that that stuck. Um, and again, he's awaiting the Lord's saving comfort. Um, yeah, and I, I just think it's kind of beautiful. Also, you know, he's three days in darkness before he's received his light, the his sight, just as Christ was in the tomb for three days before he's raised to life. Um, so again, Ananias has a vision of Christ sending him to uh, uh, Paul, and Paul's having a vision of Ananias coming. To, so they're they're having you know Christ in his faithfulness is giving these both these men really to prepare Ananias for sure, <laughs> um, but also to console Saul. We're just going to start calling him Paul, <laughs> uh, but to console Paul as well. You know, basically uh, Paul's waiting for a comforting word for, from Christ, and here's at least one of them. Ananias is going to come, and, 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 and you'll receive your sight. Okay, so 13 and 14. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all against uh, your who call on your name. So it seems at first glance that Ananias is somewhat reticent to obey. He's like, it seems like he's like, you know, Jesus, you know, have you heard about this guy? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you quite know what you're talking about because, uh, you know, he's, he's been, yeah, he's been persecuting the church. <laughs> However, in fairness, I really think this actually reflects his obedience. Um, basically, he's, he, he, he's basically, he's bewildered as to, so Stephen, Stephen was murdered, but it, he never, he's not chasing after these people. In other words, even while I uh, uh, suggest, um, what was it? Oh. <laughs> Even while I suggest that suffering produces endurance and patience and stuff, we don't go out trying to find a way to suffer. We don't go out and try to find a way of our martyrdom. That's not what happened to Stephen, and that's not what Ananias is going to do either. So he's a little bewildered. Like, okay, I mean, is, is this my time to die? Or you know, just so you know, this is the guy. But you, you know, are you really just? Uh, throwing me to the wolves, you know, that, that, that's not 
Christ's faithfulness. So he's just caught it back. Like, you know, you want me to basically just run into the lion's den, as it were. Um, again, yeah, Stephen didn't. Um, and again, we see here that the persecution of Saul spread far and wide. You know, we have an account of Damascus. We have an account, uh, you know, with Stephen. Uh, but it's far and wide. Um yeah, and again, however, this testifies as well to the wonder of his uh, conversion. Um, oh, okay, here's another uh, uh, term for uh, Christians. In an ISA, it says, uh, all who call on your name, which I think is a fantastic description. There, there, are Jew- there are many people who call on, even the Jews, call on Yahweh. And, they sp- and these are non-believing Jews. So just because they say the name, again, the name of Jesus isn't a magical formula. The name of Jesus is a person. It's him. So we call on God's name because we call on actual God. There are many who, people who, so it would be like me calling Sarah and it just being, the, and having nothing to do with her, just using the name, calling on a name of a person that doesn't exist. Does that make sense? Or is it completely different than my uh, thought or perspective of that person. Um, yeah, okay. Verse 15, then the Lord said to him, go for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Here, Christ gives Ananias grounds for his comfort that his fears might be assuaged. But this go, 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 this command, this command to go is throughout the Bible. It's throughout the Bible. Uh, God commanded Noah to go out of the ark. Remember, as he bid him to come in for salvation. Uh, he commanded Moses to go and return to Egypt. Um uh, and then he commanded him to go up to the promised land. He commanded Gideon to go save Israel from the Midianites because, for he said, have I not sent you? No. Okay. Now, uh, there are many of these great commands throughout the Bible. And like I already said, um, and our Lord himself said this at the end of Matthew. He says, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I can t- commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There's a story of Christ and the centurion. And I'm pretty sure, here we go. Uh, okay, here's uh, Matthew's account of it. Now, when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I I say to you, I have not seen such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, which is what this centurion definitely is going to be. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. That's non-believing Jews in that context anyway. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way, and as, you, uh, and as you believe, so let it be done for you. So this centurion, you know, his faith is so strong, he knows, and he doesn't want to, he recognizes too, as a man of authority, how logistics works. If he's off, you know, because he is called and has to deal with a certain thing over here, that means he's not paying attention to the thing over here. And, you know, he can only be stretched so much. So sometimes he's like, okay, here's a problem. Go. Go take care of it. So it's a matter of logistics, basically. He understands 
If Christ is coming to heal his servant under his roof, then Christ isn't doing something else that must be done as well. So he's saying, look, I know the deal. I'm a guy under authority too, and I, I command my soldier, and he goes, and another one comes, and he comes, to command my servant to do this and do it. So just speak the word, and I'm not worthy for you to be, come under my house. Now, that's amazing. That, what humility. Like, if, if I knew Jesus was coming to my house, and I knew he could speak a word and heal whomever, I gotta admit, I probably wouldn't go tell him, hey, go ahead and speak the word, because I want him to come into my house, you know, because I'm greedy that way. You know, this man isn't. This man is faithful to his Christ utterly, even to where he's going to, you know, not have him come into his house, which obviously he still does in the spirit. But uh, I just think that's a wonderful story. Uh, okay, so also the Lord uh, commands Ananias a second time to go because <laughs> he remember he said he first commanded him and then Ananias is like, hey, and then he's telling him, he's reminding him to go against because uh, Paul is his chosen vessel. This can also be translated um, uh, elect instrument. So that we're the instruments of God uh, means we're the means of his will and his will is the end. Uh, so if like we are the we are a fiddle, he's the fiddler, you know. Uh, if we are his voice, he is the anthem. Make sense? All right. Uh, whereas Ananias is his chosen vessel to go to Saul, um, Saul is his chosen vessel to bear his name. Yeah. And he's going to, and he's called to suffer. I mean, Christ tell, he tells him in, in, in some of the other accounts, he tells him specifically, you're going to be brought before kings. You're going to be brought, you know, uh, um, persecuted in the synagogues and kicked out of the synagogues. Uh, you'll testify of me to Gentiles and there will be much suffering. Uh, Saul caused much suffering. Now he's going to be continuing enduring that suffering while carrying uh, the name of Christ. Verse 16, for I will show, for I will show him how many things uh, he must suffer for my name's sake. So Paul couldn't, couldn't do this while Satan just remains quiet, right? He's not going to lose <laughs> Saul and just like, oh, okay, well, that happened. Um, so no, the world uh, will not bear him willingly, and he must uh, be taught to carry the cross. For Jesus says, he who, he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. And that's the thing. We, 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 yes, Christ suffered for us, but now our call is to join him in suffering and, um, uh, again, to, otherwise we're not worthy of him but again that, that suffering makes him makes us more and more uh into the like his likeness uh, so the meaning of this is uh, that that christ will teach paul to endure reproaches and embrace all manner of uh, conflicts that nothing might terrify him to shrink apart from his duty uh, and calvin said no man is fit to preach the gospel seeing the world is set against it save only he which is armed to suffer Therefore, if we will show ourselves faithful ministers of Christ, we must not only crave at his hands the spirit of knowledge and wisdom, but also of constancy and strength, that we may never be discouraged by laboring and toiling, which is the estate of the godly. Again, so, you know, but we pray for boldness, constancy, and strength. Never for deliverance. Never for deliverance. Uh, while, the, while the world seeks to avenge blood with still more, um, we avenge with our own. Okay, verse 17. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we've discussed this laying on of hands. And I just want to talk about that a little bit more. When uh, in the Old Testament Israel, when you would take your sacrifice to the altar, the man would 
put his hand on whatever animal, let's just say it's an ox or a bull, whatever, uh, to transfer his transgressions. And then he kills it, you know, and that's the transfer. But there are other occasions, like Moses laid his hands on Joshua because he was his faithful servant. So basically to give him authority over all the people. And then he lays his hands on him again as he, just before he's about to die, basically saying, this is your new leader. And so there are all of these laying on of hands, but it's kind of a transferring purpose. Does that make sense? Is that? Okay. Um, um, there's a twofold purpose to this laying on of hands, though, that he receive his sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And as we discussed in our last time, uh, last session, that only the apostles would give the Spirit to, uh, you know, by the laying on of hands. However, this is to an apostle, so God grants that this exception kind of thing, if you want to look at it this way. Um, so in Paul's recollection of this in uh, chapter 22, he said that after his sight was, was restored, he looked up at Ananias and said, who said, so Ananias says, the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one. Again, that's from Isaiah. And hear the voice of his mouth, for you will be his witness to all men uh, of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. It just goes into, again, what, what Ananias, and it's important that we see kind of the other information in this, in this account. Um, 18. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. Again, we, we, we remember that his blindness was an admonishment for, uh, you know, his dark arrogance, cruelty, his persecution. Um, uh, yeah, and, and yeah. Uh, again, so following three days, he's, uh, he is in the light of his new uh, life for those three days. He must be trained to see with his eye, uh, mind, heart, and soul. Uh, again, apart from Christ, we are in utter darkness. Um, so those three days only taught him to seek the son of righteousness, S-U-N, but it's capital S. He's referred to as the son of righteousness sometimes in that way. Um, okay, verse 19. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then uh, Saul spent some days with the disciples of Damascus. So again, he wouldn't seek strength through food at those times. He's seeking strength through prayer. He's, he's correctly making his priorities in line to his, to his Christ. Okay, so, you know. Um, now his soul has received strength. He's, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. His sight is restored. And now he's ready to eat <laughs> you know, uh, to accommodate his body. Um, and yeah, uh, so Saul spent some days with the disciples. And obviously he's learning. Uh, he's learning more and more about his Christ. But you also have to understand this, this, is, this wouldn't be as an extensive teaching as we have it, right? Saul... Saul was learned through the ways of Judaism and strict ways of Judaism, as he'll mention later on, all of his life. He knew his uh, Hebrew scriptures, and he knew all of the Messianic prophecies, but he also believed the same things as those Jews believed in that context, even of those prophecies. So to be realigned and recognize and see Christ and all those prophecies he still knows wouldn't be as difficult as teaching him all those prophecies that he... Does that make sense? It, the content he already knows. The person's changed. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, oh, and yeah, remember after Christ's resurrection, he asked for food, and uh, we'll see... Uh, well, and when he uh, raised uh, the little girl, he... Uh, uh, I think that signifies something of 
you know, when you're raised up from death, this these people are needing food. I think that signifies that great feast we'll have in heaven with God. Um, so I think that hunger from death is just, I think that's fitting. Verse 20, immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogue that he is the son of God. The power of Christ is immediate. Remember we talked about immediate and immediate. This is, the, so it's not just immediate as like quick in time. It's immediate that it's just, it's, he plants it in him. It's in him. He, this is Saul is a new man, and Christ is in him. So Christ's power is immediate. Um, it also quickens the soul to preach the Christ that he is the Son of God. Um, so he, he who had gone to this city uh, to make havoc in persecution uh, kind of causes havoc in his own. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, however, as Paul immediately preached, he is almost immediately killed. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. 21, then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? So here we see the power of Christ made manifest in witness. So these people see that this man who has been going all over the place, you know, and now he's preaching that Jesus is the Son of God, they can't help but recognize this is manifest, not only in what he's saying, but the man, not just signs and wonders either, but the testimony of Christ even in the man. When a man comes to Christ, that's got to be manifest to the world. It, 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 it's, that's part of um, his call. Uh, Psalm 20, uh, verse 7 says, For some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we call upon the name of the Lord our God. So we also, we also um, that name that is called upon, we call through Christ now. Okay, And that's what he's doing. Uh, verse 22, But Saul increased uh, all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. So not only is he preaching, but he's proving. That's why we're doing the apologetics. We do not suggest these things. We don't provide evidence for, per, for people either. There's a, there's a clear difference between evidence and proof. Evidence doesn't evidence can suggest something. Proof commands it. <laughs> proof, proof is ultimately gives you the conclusion. Um, so he's proving, again, through those texts who, that he had misunderstood before, He's proving that, you know, all of these things, the, Christ really manifests that, Jewish, that Jewish, Jewish expectation that we were mistaken of, of, or of which we were mistaken. And so now he's, it's fairly easy for him to prove um, that Jesus is the Christ. Um, so again, uh, Saul increased in the strength of his testimony. Uh, and yeah. Um, uh, verses 23 through 25. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. The, then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall of the large gospel. So in Galatians... Basket. Where am I seeing these things? Thanks. Ali, that's not even dyslexia. It's just making stuff up. All right. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. I guess you all have it there. Um, Galatians 1.18 says, uh, Paul says, Then after three years I went to, up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. So this account is three years. See, and that's why when we see, just because a, an account is brief, doesn't mean 
it, the, the occasion was actually brief. Uh, we see when he goes to Jerusalem, he was only there for 15 days. And I mean, obviously that's, that's very brief, but we can't suggest, you know, a period of time with, with the brevity of accounts. Um, uh, so is meant, yeah. Uh, in second Corinthians, uh, uh, chapter 11, 32 and 33, it says, uh, Paul again is saying at Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and, uh, escaped his hands. In the Old Testament, in Joshua chapter 2, verse 15, it says Rahab, so uh, they let, she let, okay. In this account of Joshua, he sent out spies to uh, Jericho first to to see how to plunder, basically. And the 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 people there get wind of it. And, and they all know that they'd gone into this house of Rahab, who is a prostitute, who, all, by the way, is in uh, Jesus's lineage. Thought that might interest you. Anyway, uh, so they come, they come to this uh, prostitute Rahab. She takes them in, and then these the the men there find out about it, and so she hides them. She takes them up to the roofs and and hides them under a stack of straw and all this other stuff. And and so the men they'll come to her house and say, Hey, where are the men who who came? You know, they're from uh, they're from they're the Hebrews who you know had just plundered Egypt. You know, and have plundered the Amalekites and all these people. And so this city is full of fear of these people. So they're asking, where are these spies? And she's saying, oh, I don't know. You know, they came in, but they left. I didn't know they were from, I didn't know they were Hebrews. You know, they, they left. I mean, go ahead, take off. You know, if you, if you go now, you know, you'll be able to overtake them. And so they do. And so she goes up and t t tells them and pleads for them. Basically, we know and we're deathly afraid of your God. <laughs> so how about we make a deal? Okay, I, I deliver you, I save you, I don't say anything about this, and you know I'll let you out of my house, and you spare me, my family, and me, right? And the guys uh, say that's cool, but here's the deal. So basically, the the they she lets them down a rope, and she's to tie a scarlet cord on her uh, window, so they they know where she is, right? So when they do attack. They don't kill anybody in that place. But the deal is, if any of her family is outside of that place, they're not guilty of the blood, you know, kind of a thing. The deal is, anybody who's in that room, and if you don't have the scarlet cord, all bets are off, all this kind of a thing. And they both agree, and so she is spared. Um, but that's just, that was a long way to tell you the story of her uh, dropping him, uh, dropping them down. So this is biblical, this escape through the wall. Um, there's another account, but then I would have to tell another story. So, <laughs> all right, verse 26. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. So the church had already been beguiled by Simon. Remember, they're not going to be about to make the same mistake twice, especially somebody who's persecuting the church. I mean, they, you let him inside, then he gets to destroy them from within. That'd be the worst tactical error ever. However... You know, the, so then we see, oh, well, okay, we'll get to that. Um, yeah. Yeah. We're called to witness to Christ. And if we find a child of hell in the midst, we should preach all the more until he becomes a child of God. So these people shouldn't really have been reluctant. Like, I understand their reluctance, but God is faithful. 
And th- just like I can't assume whether you are actually, if, if you are indwelt with Christ and God, you know, I can't, I can't make that call. That's his call. And so they shouldn't have been that way either. And we see Barnabas is much more faithful. Uh, so verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought, brought him to the apostles and declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So Acts, uh, remember in Acts chapter four, verse 36 and 37, it says, and Hosus, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement and then the rest. But this is, this man, this man is renamed son of encouragement. He becomes a very faithful companion of Paul. We'll see Barnabas again and again and again. And he's sent out to other areas to encourage the believers. Uh, he, he, he's, he's so faithful. Uh, there's, there's, they actually end up, end up getting an argument, uh, Paul and Barnabas, because at a certain time, uh, I think it was in Thessalonica, they're getting persecuted. And John Mark was, uh, so the guy who wrote Mark, uh, takes off. He goes back home because he's scared. And so later he wants to rejoin them. And Paul's like, no, <laughs> you, you know, he deserted. We don't hear the specifics or we don't see the specifics, but basically, no, he deserted us. He deserted the ministry. No. And Barnabas is like, no, no, I mean, come on. This is, you know, he was a faithful companion. He's been faithful. I mean, he's sorry for it. You know, no, let him come. And they end up splitting. So John Mark actually goes with Barnabas. And so this was a cause of their division. But in God's faithfulness, he provided, you know, for everybody. But Barnabas is a great man, a great, um, faithful uh, minister and man of, uh, of God. In Acts chapter 13, verse 2, it says, And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work of which I have called for them. Uh, and so, again, uh, they come back very soon. You know, we'll see, you know, about a few weeks from now uh, that these men join to go on to ministry, uh, 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 missionary journeys. Um, yeah, I already told you about that. Oh, and in, in Galatians 1.19, so we saw the Galatians 1.18, uh, he says, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. So it's probably, um, so we saw Peter, obviously, he even dwelt with Peter, but it's probably that Barnabas introduced him to all the apostles, and then he basically had one-on-one sessions with Peter and James. So he spoke mostly to uh, Peter and James, that kind of a thing. Um, yeah, okay. 28 and 29. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. Those Hellenists are the same men who were going after Stephen. Those were the same men, most, many of the men anyway, uh, or the same ones who ended up killing Stephen. And remember, Saul had consented to his death. So they're, sure, they, just like the, the other per- people who were surprised that this man is now proclaiming Jesus is, is the Christ, these people are bewildered to kill him. <laughs> they, they, you know, they're, they're bewildered, and that's fine, but they really seek to turn on him and kill him. Um, Again, instead of repentance, these Hellenists are filled with vain fury. Um, it should have provoked them to faith. Yeah. Um, what are Hellenists? Just... Okay, those are the Greek-speaking Jews. Remember, we have uh, those who speak Hebrew, those who speak Aramaic, and then the Hellenists. So Hellenization would be uh, when, when Alexander the Great, Great conquered lands and stuff. What he would do is Hellenize them. So he would, he would, in, 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 they would kind of, and great and fill the culture with Greek culture. 
and they would all have to speak Greek. And so it was called Hellenization. The, god, the Greek god Helen is mother uh, of the gods, basically. And so it's called Hellenization. So these are Hellenists, Greek-speaking Jews. Is that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Uh-huh. Um, okay, verse 30. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. So another plot to kill Saul, or Paul, is assuaged uh, by, his, by his true brethren, by the protection of his true brethren. And he's sent to his hometown of Tarsus. Remember, that's where Saul is originally from. That's where he grew up, is Tarsus. Uh, which was in Cilicia. I don't know if you remember that, but anyway. Uh, verse 31. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. This is another of uh, Luke's summary transitions. He, we're going to be looking at Peter now, so he's just kind of subtly uh, making a little bit of transition, just like we saw in chapter 2, chapter 4, and chapter 6, and we'll see that throughout. He's just shifting the narrative a little bit, uh, to a different um, uh, occasion. But here he's telling how the churches throughout all of Palestine, which Judea, so Judea was in the south. I bet I have one in there, so after this I'll show you. Uh, but Judea was uh, in the south, then Samaria would be basically in the middle. Galilee is the northernmost uh, uh, region. Um, so this doesn't suggest that the persecution died with the conversion of Saul, though. You know, it says here that the churches had peace but they have peace in the midst of persecution. Persecution is still going, especially in the early church. It intensifies. When Nero comes, oh, we'll talk about that much later. He, he lights Christians as a lamp in his garden, as lamps in his garden. He sets them on fire as lamps. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's fine. All right, verse 32. Now it came to pass as Peter went through all parts of the uh, country that, that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Leda. So here we see, even though the apostles stayed at Jerusalem, they still go out into other areas and don't just remain in, in Jerusalem only. Here he goes through the same parts of the country that Philip had gone through. Remember we saw at the end of uh, our, our last week that Philip went through all the way down into Gaza. Remember we talked to Gaza and talked about Gaza. And so he, what, Philip, what Peter's doing is basically revisiting all those churches as an apostle, again, that, 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 that um, faithful companion ministry, they're not against each other. It's just one provides one thing, and then the other one provides another. So Philip has provided the salva- you know, Christ in these places, and Peter's going to edify and to build them up. Um, Lydda was also called Laud at the time. It was very close to Joppa, which is where Tabitha or Dorcas is, which, by the way, I, I pronounce it Dorcas because that's better than Dorcas. Um, all right, this is a very brief uh, account regarding the healing of Ananias, and we're not actually told how he became paralyzed. Luke is actually a physician, but we don't tell him. We're not told how he became paralyzed, but only, only that he's been that way. Um, for eight years. So I think this is kind of a subtle, because this account is very brief with Ananias. So I think this is actually another subtle, uh, another uh, summarized transition to get to Tabitha. He goes with one healing, raising this this man, and then goes to uh, raising one from death. Again, Peter declares that Jesus uh, the Christ is he who heals. Uh, And we see actually with the narrative regarding Tabitha that he doesn't, uh, pronounce the name of Jesus heal you. He prays first, which is important, but there are other occasions where they don't say, you know, 
in the name of Jesus, you know, be healed. Uh, uh, Paul sees a guy who, who's lame, and he, I, don't, I don't know what that means, if he just sees in him enough faith that we're left to kind of wonder. But, uh, but he says, rise and walk. You know, he doesn't say in the name of Jesus or anything. Uh, but this occasion, he does. Um, so this man probably thought for all those eight long years, okay, remember the lame man we saw in chapter four was lame since birth, right? This man is paralyzed and he's been paralyzed for eight years. But before that, he was able to go all over the place. So I'm sure for those eight years, he's, he's just thinking like, man, I wish I, it, the, uh, Lita was very close to the Mediterranean. So I'm sure he used to travel to the beach. He used to travel to the sea. He, he went to synagogue. He worked at that time and probably, you know, had friends that, uh, as part of that employment. He'd hang out with friends. He'd serve God. He'd go to Jerusalem on the feast days, and now he can't. So he's just, I'm sure, daily thinking, you know, man, if I were just able to walk again, I would do all of these things. And, you know, and what a profound grace that Christ makes all of these things trivial. Yes, when he's restored to be able to walk again, yes, he'll be able to walk to the sea. But that's not going to be why he's going. He's not going to be just going to go and enjoy the waves and enjoy the beach and all that. He's not going to go to the synagogue anymore just because he's in the company, he's in the company of other you know, Jews. He's not going to go to work again just because he sees fellowship there. No, everywhere he goes, he's taking Christ. So, and he's preaching. He becomes a very faithful preacher. And anyway, uh, so this, yeah, good. Uh, so, yeah, actually, again, he probably hated that bed too. He had to have hated that bed the, 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 with his condition. I bet he hated that bed. And, and I bet he thought, you know, if it were possible, I could be healed of this. I am going to set this thing on fire. But then it becomes a sweet memory of Christ's salvation and Christ's deliverance. I bet that bed turned into one of his most proud possessions. The thing that would bring him the most joy the moment he saw it was the thing that brought him the most frustration, the most tyranny in his, in his mind. So he's... He's, he's, uh, I just think it's funny also because Peter says, you know, uh, basically, uh, arise, and then he commands him to be, uh, make his bed. I mean, that seems kind of strange at first, but he's called to, to organize and, and, and to tidy. Yes, his house, but that means his life. It's time to start cleaning up your life. And he does. Uh, and then he wrote, and it says, then he rose immediately. So Ananias heeded the first command. Be sure he heeded the second one. All right, 35. So all who dwelt at Leda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. So Sharon was the plain of Sharon on which Leda and Joppa were on. Uh, they were located there. The plain of uh, Sharon was huge, a huge uh, expanse of land. Um, that all who dwelt at Leda and Sharon saw and as suggested that he was rarely unseen. This man's filled with Christ. This man's able to walk. Everybody's seeing him. This whole area is seeing him because he's just going all over the place preaching Christ. Um, yeah. Uh, so the mere sight of Ananias walking would not cause one to turn to the Lord. One might, because again, he, he'd been paralyzed for eight years. So, I mean, if you just see him walking, you know he had walked before. So maybe he found a good doctor. That wouldn't immediately get you to, to believe. So it was only his preaching. 
understand that. It doesn't say that in the text, but that's got to be the only way. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, real quickly. So whether these people inquired of Ananias as to the cause of his healing or that he couldn't stop preaching, <laughs> uh, he who healed him is not immediately, you know, so the man who cannot stop preaching about he who healed him is not immediately clear. But I hope by now you've seen the patterns in previous studies and you can venture to guess it's the latter. So it is his preaching. It's not just because he's healed. Uh, verse 36. At Joppa, there was a certain name, Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. So Tabitha in Aramaic and Dorcas in, Dorcas in Greek both mean gazelle. They both mean gazelle. So they're interchangeable names. Again, that's, what, that's what's going on. So in Aramaic, is Tabitha, which we'll see Simon refers to her as Tabitha because that's closer to the Hebrew, whereas the, the people there refer to her as Dorcas because that's Greek. Um, so that Luke called Tabitha a disciple is no other consideration again, right? Disciple and Christian are interchangeable. So even here, he's calling her a disciple to make clear to everybody, this isn't just for men. <laughs> this is for men, for men or women, any uh, child of God. Um, yeah, and Luke goes on to show that, that her faith wasn't in vain. She, she didn't keep it in, hidden in a closet. She's full of, what does it say? Full of good works and charitable deeds. And we'll see um, uh, some of that as we continue. Uh, verse 37, but it happened in those days that she became sick and died. And when they washed her, they laid her, laid her in an upper room. So again, Luke is a physician, and she doesn't, he doesn't tell us what the sickness was, but only that's what caused her to die. That they washed her and put her up in an uh, upper room is pretty significant. So in Jerusalem, in the city, you had to bury the person who died there that day. Outside of the city, you could leave them for up to three days. Now, this washing, I think, is... There's some ambiguity as to what the purpose and the reasoning for this... Uh, ceremony was um it was probably done just before they anointed with spices as we see in the the occasion of christ uh, but this washing really isn't for the dead it's for the living okay we see filth in sin we see uh, filth in death you know and so they're cleansing this body as 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 a means to see life even in death that is the proper way to see it does that make sense does it okay um, yeah, and by the way, so they laid her in an upper room basically as a viewing kind of a thing before her burial. Um, and verse 38, and since Lido was near Joppa, there he is, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. So again, they, this might, in, you know, seem like they were hopeful that if, if he came quickly, then he could bring her life again. But we don't know that. It could just be that, you know, they're about to bury her soon. And so we need some consoling words from Peter. And hey, maybe maybe you could perform the liturgy. That'd be great. So we don't know why they're asking her, asking him to come so quickly. But they do. Uh, and we don't see them complaining against God either. This, this faithful servant who was serving the poor and serving uh, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ has died and they're not complaining against God. They're, they're, they, they're faithful to, to her and then they're faithful to find a minister to comfort them. Okay, uh, verse 39. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, 
they brought him to the upper room, and all the widows stood by weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. So again, we, need, we have to wonder if the disciples told him to return to Joppa to, for a miracle or what they were, why they were really imploring him to come. Whether Peter joined them in hopes that God would uh, you know, bring back life to Tabitha is unknown. He might just be going to, to comfort this, to comfort him. But, he's, but Peter's also, we see uh, in all the other accounts that the Spirit sent uh, Peter you know, to Samaria, and then he sent Peter to Gaza, and you know, an angel of the Lord comes to Peter and sends him to you know, all these places. He does, he, the brethren come and ask him. And so God is still calling him to go to Joppa through the brothers. It's the same thing. Christ indwells us. And so if God calls us, or if an angel calls us, or if the Spirit calls us, or if Christ himself reveals and says, go, or a brethren, brother comes and says, come, it's the same call. Okay? It's, that's why, okay, it's just important to recognize that. Um, again, you know, this, this woman had been uh, very pious and very charitable, and these people are showing, you know, the, the garments that she made for providing these people uh, with clothing. And, and so she would do these as provisions, some of which she probably sold and then would have, you know, funds for the ministry of other, of other believers as well. Um, 40. But Peter put them all out, knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she, she sat up. Really quickly, I just want to read a short little pithy parts of when Jesus rose uh, another little girl. Um, and remember, I told you, these apostles, these men are doing works that Christ did. And remember, I told you that the, that the miracles that Christ did testify of him. It's not just this wonderful magic trick, this magic show. They testify of who he is. And that continues. That continues through his apostles. Remember, we've taught, said it again and again and again. When the Spirit comes, go testify of me in and through my Spirit. And that's what's going on. So the same thing that Jesus was able to do, the apostles are able to do. So real quickly, Matthew uh, chapter nine verse uh, twenty-five says, "But when the crowd, but when was the crowd was put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl rose." Mark uh, chapter five forty. This is all I'm going to tell you about these these accounts. Uh, Mark uh, chapter five forty-one. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, "Talitha kumi," which is translated, "Little girl, I say to you, arise." Luke eight fifty-four. Uh, but he put them all outside, took her by the hand, and called, saying, "Little girl, arise." John, 40, John 11, 43, about Lazarus, he says, Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. So, okay, Christ had no need to pray before raising the dead because the power of God is him. He is the power of God. Peter does need to pray. Peter does need to pray first, which we'll, which we'll see. Did we? Yes, he, which we already saw. He knelt down and prayed. Um, so in the, these other accounts too, in, uh, in Matthew, uh, uh, Mark, and Luke, we see in varying accounts, again, they, these are synopsis, so they don't tell you everything sometimes. You've got to see the other accounts. Anyway, we see in some of the other Gospels that, that, that Peter, James, and John were allowed in there. That's Christ's inner three. And the father and the mother were allowed in there. Okay, so he wasn't just completely isolated. But we've got to wonder, you know, why... 
why this isolation? You know, why, why is it? Why is this so kind of done in seemingly secret? Well, I think, especially uh, as it as it pertains to um, Peter, it's just it's so that these people won't think it's him. They won't they won't start praising him, and we'll see afterward. He they point to that this this was done by Christ. Christ did this, but I think that's why we'll see another account of Elijah. Elijah in the Old Testament does. Uh, a similar miracle um so yeah so elijah and you can read this for yourself but he helps out this woman of uh, of, of what is it called zarephath and and she has a son his son her son ends up dying and 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 she's bewildered she's like you know what is this why you've come to me you know and and, and all this and he ends up healing her uh, but that but he has her go out and and, and he's isolated and he prays to god and, and all this stuff, and that's when the, that's when, uh, the boy uh, is risen. So even in the episode of Christ raising, uh, yeah, I already said. So he asked for privacy. He actually does tell everybody to go out, except for those who were with him, which was Peter, James, and John, and then he lets the mother and the father come in. Um, yeah, so there are many varying uh, opinions as to the reason for the seclusion. Uh, but again, I think the, the one of Lazarus, when, when Christ healed Lazarus, was completely public. Public. He didn't tell anybody to go away. That was completely public. So I think for Christ, it's fine. That's not seclusion. One of the things he tells uh, the Peter, James, and John, and the mother and the father after he heals that little girl is, "Don't tell anybody about this. Not until you know I'm risen, because that would that would only many reasons that I could speculate about. But <laughs> he's Jesus, so what he says goes." Um, so Peter then turned to the body and spoke to a corpse, which is kind of interesting, but this must have been led by the spirit, um, to do this as after he prayed. And I also think it's by the benevolent faithfulness of our God that he never, he never raises somebody in the third person. In other words, he doesn't say, um, you know, I'm going to raise this body over there, body over there. <laughs> he calls us by name. And he looks at us. He doesn't say, all right, I'm raising the body over there. <laughs> he, he, it's personal. It's intimate. It's beautiful. All right. Uh, okay, we're going to read Ezekiel. Yeah, okay, real quickly. Let me run, run over here. Ezekiel, what is it? Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 1 through 14. This might sound familiar to some of you. Uh Sorry, real quickly. I'm not do do doing so. <laughs> okay, there's, there's, there's. All right, here we go. Uh, the hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out uh, in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass uh, by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. Uh, again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and I, as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling and the bones came together bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. And he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, that, again, breath and spirit are interchangeable, 
thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and, and breath came into them, and they lived, and stood upon their feet an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say, uh, Our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, performed it, says the Lord. Again, that just attests to that resurrection. That's a passage, I, we, I mean, God willing, we'll consider another time because there's a lot in there. But that's obviously a depiction of God raising us from the grave where we, where we think we have no hope. You know, sometimes we get down and downcast, and, and, but ultimately we have the greatest hope. Um, in John chapter 5, verse 25, Christ says, Most assuredly I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. So again, that's, that's just showing that that's who is actually calling these dry bones. Um, and indeed, it was the voice of Christ coming from the mouth of Peter. Again, it's the power of Christ who heals this man, that, that girl. And again, Peter calls her uh, by her Aramaic name because he's Hebrew. 41, then he, gave her, they, then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. So Peter was with Jesus when he raised the girl. And Jesus didn't just raise the girl from death to life. He brought her. He helped her up. Remember when, uh, when the lame man was healed, and it says Peter, you know, took him by the hand. I mean, so don't lose this. We're not. We don't just stop at any point. We continue. We continue ministering. We continue to comfort. We continue to help people up to their feet in Christ. Once Christ has risen them, because we can't do that, but we can give them our hand, lend them a hand to come up, to stand up, and walk with their God. All right. Um, yeah, we already talked about that, about the eating. Um, okay, we might want to ask whether it was preferable to Tabitha. You know, Tabitha was dead and obviously in glory. <laughs> you know, uh, so was it better for her to come back? Okay, I mean, that's... So, the glory of God is not only in heaven. And Tabitha knows that. Tabitha knows that. So if her faithful God, who she knows probably even more now, is sending her back, he's not going to leave her. Just because she doesn't get to enjoy the, the immense bliss of heaven, she knows she will. And she also knows she does on earth. That manifests fully in heaven, but is still manifests here. The faithfulness and the glory and the beauty of our God is in his people here. Heaven starts here. That's why I tell you, the moment we believe, we enter, we see the kingdom of God, and we enter the kingdom of God until its fullness on that day. Okay, But she knows the faithfulness of her God, so she doesn't care. God, your will be done. Your will be done. I'm pleased in that your will is being done. And that's all. All right, 42 and 43. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a Tanner. Uh, so that many believed on the Lord is fit for this miracle. Uh, again, this is, this is somebody, 
through the apostles. And, and Peter didn't say, don't go tell anybody this. This is now Christ's ministry in and through his church. And this is immediate. This, this is spread quickly. This news is spread quickly. And again, the, the, the power of death from death to life is also in sin. It's also in salvation. Um, so that's why they would believe. Again, not just because of the miracle, but what the miracle implies. Okay. Um, so again, he, re- he directs them that Christ is the one. So a tanner was one who, uh, okay, uh, that he's, he directs them upon Christ and that he's the one who uh, uh, did the healing. A tanner was one who tanned the skins of animals to make kind of a leather uh, for a variety of pers- uh, um, purposes. Uh, this people who did this were considered uh, unclean. I think I have, yeah. Uh, in Leviticus five two it says, uh, or if a person touches anything un, un, any unclean thing, whether it is the carcass of an unclean beast or the carcass of an unclean li- livestock or the carcass of an un, of unclean creeping things, and is and he is unaware of it, he shall uh, he also shall be unclean and, guil- and guilty. Anyway, so he the, these people have to touch dead carcasses of unclean animals to make hides, to make all sorts of different things. They they make sandals. They make all sorts of different things. And so, since this was a, basically this would make you unclean. This Simon probably felt had very little to no fellowship with Jews, and he finds great fellowship with Peter, who actually dwells with him. So Peter, we'll see in the next chapter. Peter still a little he sees the that Christ is manifesting beyond Jerusalem, beyond Judea. He's seeing in Samaria, and now he's here in Joppa. And Lida, so he knows he's seeing that, that Christ is manifesting himself to the rest of the world, but he's still a little reticent. We'll see in the next one. But he's obviously, if he's staying with this Simon, he already knows that what we'll see in chapter 10, he already kind of knows. And so we'll wait for chapter 10 for me, and we'll see that manifest more, more fully. Um, and we also see that. Uh, um, Later, when he when he goes uh, to a centurion in Caesarea in the next chapter, men from Joppa join him, and I'm sure Simon was one of them. Um, okay, to conclude, and by the way, at last, we have a chapter which affords a gracious picture of precious divine grace of God. So this actually is one chapter I'm not going to be well. This is not good. This is a perfect, this is a great chapter in its fullness and, and not divided. You know, we, we, we see... Christ raising Tabitha through Peter. It begins with raising Saul uh, through Christ. For Saul was dead as well. Saul was dead in sin, and the great hound of heaven conquered him to life. Um, to his knees in life, in fact. Okay, uh, I'm just going to f- quickly uh, read Isaiah chapter 12. It's only six verses. Maybe if I would have told you all that. Just kidding. Okay, and in that day you will say, O Lord, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, you're angry that you're... I'm sorry. And in that day you will say, O Lord, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you cannot comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord, is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And in that day you will say, Praise the Lord. Call upon his name. Declare his deeds among the peoples. Make mention of his name. Make mention that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. As an eagle stalks his prey, even so, Lord, dost, thou dost track. 
There is nowhere which to break from his imminent attack. No rock too, high, too great to hide beneath, no death too deep to flee, no end of earth beyond his reach, no refuge or relief. If we run to outer darkness, his light shall surely follow. We are as, we are as naked trees laid barkless in the vanity of sorrow. But as he pierces through the shadows and dives upon his game, as we run from his dark gallows, we are enveloped in his name. And some shall be left slaughtered, forever there to burn. Others shall be watered as the harvest Christ is earned. We shall find we ran from mercy, and mercy ran us down, that our wills will made, be, were made inversely by him to be renowned. And once, our conquer, and once conquered by his holy grace and are fallen on our knees, we are settled from the windless chase, for in Christ our fathers pleased. Father, thank you for your abundant salvation. Thank you for your life and abundance and the fullness of your glory. Thank you for your word and thank you for your holy servants. Thank you for your grace and your mercy that you pour out on your children. Give us your truth, my God, that we might witness to our Christ to the ends of the earth fulfill that command at last. It's in his name we ask it. Amen. Thank you for listening to CFI Ministries podcast with Pastor James Myers. We hope you enjoy this message. Please subscribe and follow us. Tune in as we continue in the book of Acts.